0: With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Limbit Opic. This
1: is the Limbit Opic Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Very good morning. to se- Four minutes past seven in the United Kingdom, Greenwich meantime. Four minutes past six in Sydney and Melbourne, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Home of Free Speech. Uh, that's TNT Radio with me, Lembert Opik. Coming up in this hour, we have a packed show. We're going to talk about COP28. What is that? It's an environmental conference taking place in the United Arab Emirates, one of the biggest oil producers in the world. Hmm, interesting. We'll talk about that with Brian Gregory, who is an expert. He's studied climatology for 30 years. He's probably going to have something to say about COP28 and weather, this is just window dressing for this pointless claim that human beings are wrecking the environment. How do you do that with 3.5% contribution to 0.04% of the atmosphere? That's what we've got with carbon dioxide. Um, and of course, it's not gone unnoticed that the UAE has been trying to do oil deals during the climate conference. Perhaps that tells you more about what they think uh, about uh, the so-called climate crisis than anything else. As far as I'm concerned, fair play to them. If they can sell oil, uh, fair play. We do need the stuff. And more importantly, uh, it's not wrecking the climate. It's actually feeding the plants. We'll come back to that in a short while. Uh, Then we're going to speak to Oliver Nelkin. Oliver was involved in a campaign which fought back against bank charges uh, in the United Kingdom. There's a bank called Lloyd's, and uh, they won. They beat the bank. Uh, That was many years ago. Well, now it turns out that the chief executive officer of Lloyd's Bank wants the right to earn as much as they can. They're telling government to keep their hands off the profits. But hold on a minute. Who bailed the banks out? Oh, yes, it was the government. Therefore, it was us. But apparently in the good times, we don't get our money back. Nice work there. Maybe I should be working in banking. Uh, So we were talking to Oliver and Melkin about how they took on that bank and how they won. And what does he think about the unlimited profits that the chief executive officer wants to be able to make in Lloyds Bank? Then we speak to one of the most outspoken critics of the state here (laughs) in the United Kingdom, Uh, a man so outspoken, he tends to get cancelled. That's Paul McGowan. Uh, He's been cancelled by other media many, many times, but he will not be silenced. Why does it happen? Because he frightens the horses. Fair play to you, Paul McGowan. We'll see what he has to say today. Uh, He will essentially try and deflate what he might call the lamestream media uh, based on the failure of the prime minister and leader of the opposition to speak about the problems of the people. Paul is angry, and I think he reflects the anger of many of us uh, in the world today uh, who have had to resort to speaking out for ourselves. Thank goodness for TNT Radio. This is a place where you don't get silenced for being outspoken. In fact, you get praised for it. So Paul McGowan coming up as well. Uh, Paul Oliver Elkin before him and Brian Gregory. Now, there's quite a lot to talk about here. Uh, lots to uh, to consider. Uh, incidentally, I noticed uh, that some people consider themselves essentially to be mortgage slaves in the chat. If you want to get involved in the chat, go to tntradio.live, you'll be most welcome there. Uh, I was quite amused by some of the points. Uh, Chris Slater says, I bought my family out of Birminghamistan to Australia 17 years ago to avoid the Islamification of the UK, and has followed me over. Well that ties into one of the stories I want to mention now. Uh, Some days ago, you may have recalled, uh, we were talking about a stabbing of children outside of school in Ireland. That's the south of Ireland, uh, within the British Isles, but not in the United Kingdom, of course. We've all been trying to find out who did the stabbing. Normally, when you see a news report it says a white man in his 50s uh, was apprehended or uh, a French person in their 40s or uh, something like that, not a squeak in the media about who this man was. Mm, Why not? Could it be because he's an Algerian migrant? And the mainstream media don't want you to know that. Why? Because it doesn't fit the zeitgeist, does it? It's all meant to be peace and harmony harmony when we have uh, multicultural circumstances developing. But lo and behold, this takes us a step further. It's not just that we have to live in a multicultural society, but we're not allowed to hear the wrongdoings, the misdemeanors of people who've come into that society. Now, there are quite a few of us, including, I have to tell you, my late mother and father, who are also migrants, who assume when you move into a society, you're buying in to the cultural mainstream norms. In other words, you're supposed to do what uh, the general public does. You're supposed to adhere to the rules. You can still be eccentric, you can be outspoken but it's probably not a good idea to stab people. In the United Kingdom, that tends to be a social norm, and in Ireland too. Well, this man obviously did not follow that social norm. It's unarguable that one man did it and that he stabbed children. Well, so far, the only place you can get some information about who that person may have been is in the social media. And indeed, I'll quote one of them. Dara O'Flaherty says, uh, This is interesting. I'll read the whole thing to you. Forwarded to me from a man we have trusted for years, rumors circulating that Vradakar, he's the uh, uh, guy in charge of Ireland, uh, is trying to do everything in his power to stop the Algerian Islamist stabbing suspect from being named. This is because naming him in court will link him to a senior political figure. The suspect has been untouchable up to now, despite being in the Garda radar and has been protected by senior politicians, the senior politicians who supported his citizenship application uh, despite being uh, subject to deportation order and having no history of employment since his arrival. Well, there we are. That is potentially what's going on. I can't independently verify it. But here's the thing, my friends. If a lot of people, the general public, I mean, are saying the same thing, it could be that they're telling the truth. What's the motivation of all these individuals to share the same common belief that someone who is a migrant stabbed children if it's not true? I suppose you could say they're all racist, but that's not my experience of Ireland. I grew up on the island of Ireland, and (laughs) they're some of the most gentle and understanding people in the world. In fact, the troubles that I grew up in were a departure from the mainstream behavior of people there. And here's a second point. The riots which occurred after the stabbing were being accused uh, were being blamed on on racists and extreme right wingers. Is it not possible that these folks were actually just incensed by the fact that the media colluded with politicians to conceal the identity of the accused? Now there is no rule on earth which prevents this suspect from being described and being named. And in just about any other circumstance I know, that's what happens. If you went to demonstrate against the COVID lockdowns, you could be filmed and named for doing so. If you uh, campaign, for example, against the nonsense of the climate emergency, you can be named, you can be canceled. And people can tell you, you can't come onto the show, because your views do not fit with the climate emergency zeitgeist of our station. But if you go and stab children in Ireland and you happen to be a migrant, you get protection. Now, I am very grateful for the fact that my parents were welcomed into the United Kingdom, but my parents paid that welcome back by working hard, by being respectful to the rules and by obeying the law. That seems like a reasonable going-in point, if you ask me, if you move into a different person's, a different uh, culture's society. You can even celebrate and uh, maintain your rituals and your religion and, and your cultural norms, as my parents did when they came from Estonia. But celebrating Christmas on the 24th of December didn't hurt anybody. Having real candles instead of fairy lights didn't cause any fires. And most importantly working as a senior lecturer at a university made a contribution to society. It didn't take anything away. I hope that I continue my father and my mother's respect for the United Kingdom and to be blunt, if they hadn't been allowed in here, they would almost certainly have been sent to their deaths in the totalitarian system that existed at the time. So I owe my existence to the largesse of the United Kingdom and that deserves some quid pro quo. My advice to the Irish media and to the British media is stop having double standards that protect potential murderers just because they happen to be migrants, but condemn individuals about things such as climate emergency skepticism when our skepticism doesn't hurt anyone, but in fact helps us from committing some kind of economic suicide uh, at the altar of a misplaced green agenda. I want to know what you think about that. You can go to tntradio.life. Uh, I'll read your comments out if we can get to it as well. Uh, I'm very interested also to know if you've had experience where you've been accused of being a racist simply because you are concerned about some kind of cultural uh, dissolution which doesn't make you feel comfortable. In my book, I'm perfectly fine with people saying what they want to say about the kind of society they want to live in and the culture of the society they want to live in without cancellation so you can go to tnt and talk about that uh, something else i want to talk about is free speech writ large one of the great advocates of free speech in my opinion is elon musk he bought twitter called it x put out a very controversial tweet which cost him a lot of advertising we'll go go into that now but what I find really interesting is uh, in a New York Times sponsored debate he used the language I won't share on TNT radio but he basically told the advertisers if they're trying to blackmail him with money with advertising where to go his language is a lot stronger you only need to put Elon Musk into your search engine and you'll find out exactly what he said he essentially did a very strong reaction to what he thinks is advertisers trying to wag the dog of his business. Now, I don't know what you think about Elon Musk. I think he's a mercurial character myself. I like what he does in space. Not always that keen on some things that he does on Earth. But fundamentally, I think he's a mercurial character myself. I like what he does in space. Not always that keen on some things that he does on Earth. But fundamentally, the advertisers are holding him to ransom. So you have to be either the richest man in the world, or just like the rest of us, people who cannot influence much of advertising to uh, stick two fingers up at the media and the uh, the advertisers. He will be now lambasted for days for what he said, and no doubt it's made a lot more difficult for the chief executive officer of X to get those advertisers back. I wanna see how this develops because it is actually a test of freedom of speech. Elon wasn't exactly the most diplomatic person, let's be honest about that, when he used that expletive on a stage, and he repeated it for the avoidance of doubt, and then said, is that clear? But at the same time, he's a man wealthy enough to take on these giant companies and say to them, I'm sorry for the tweet that I put out, but if you're going to try to use your economic weight to tell me what's allowed and what's not allowed on my site, then you can take a hike. He also warns that this could actually shut his business down. Uh, the, the the ex-business, not its whole business, but the ex-business. Well, it looks like that's surprise price he's willing to pay for free speech on this occasion, Elon. I respect and admire your willingness to take on the giants who think we are in their pockets because they have the money and we don't. Well, we'll see what happens to Elon Musk and his business. One other thing Elon Musk said, and spoiler alert, and I I told you so is coming up from me now. A a week ago, I said that the problems at the OpenAI company where a chap called Sam Altman left and then got reinstated were almost certainly to do with them discovering something about general intelligence, consciousness in computers, which was dangerous. I told you so. It seems that Elon Musk has the same view. Now, I suspect Elon knows a little bit more about computers than I do, but he has independently said he thinks they found something dangerous. And that's the problem at OpenAI. Technology once discovered cannot be uninvented. And so therefore we are doomed eventually to find out, or maybe blessed if it's a good thing, what Sam Altman and his team have discovered. I would suggest that means that the showdown with agi artificial general intelligence is a lot closer than the people who expected it to happen in 10 years ever imagined this is a date with destiny that we will live through I look forward to seeing the implications and we'll certainly cover it here on tnt radio what do you think of all this you can have your say tntradio.live is the place to go go onto the chat or you'll find the phone numbers if i have time it's a very busy show today then i'll get you on there as well all of that with me lemma here on tnt radio
0: provoy morich on tnt radio from june 2012 for BBC. tony blair id cards needed to tackle illegal migrants. Uh, of course, that was 2012. Those ID cards today are dig- is, is digital ID. And uh, Majid Nawaz, among others, he, he says, globalist surrogates pretending to be right- populist right-wing influencers against Muslims and immigration are leading you into a trap. It was these very same globalists who opened our borders as part of their plan after invading multiple countries in your name. And of course, the same false flag for Formula. They're creating the problem intentionally because they have a solution that they want for us. So, you know, they got the solution, which is, you know, dystopia. Uh, and then they figure out, okay, what problems can we create to, to get where we want to go? So we want this algorithm ghetto. How do we get it? Flight in the illegal migrants get rid of law and order, and the solution is going to be the algorithm ghetto, and we're already seeing signs of that. Pervoy Morich on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one.
2: China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40. California
3: has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a $1,000 a day fine.
0: Government That's stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci.
1: If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. 23 minutes past seven in the United Kingdom. That means it's 23 minutes past six in Sydney and Melbourne, a little bit earlier in Perth, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to me, Lembert OPIC here on TNT Radio. I'm welcoming your views as well. Go to tntradio.life. Put your chat uh, comments in there, or you can phone up as well. If we have got time, I'll get you on air. Some of your comments. Uh, I do enjoy listening to Lambert's input. Thank you, Autone. Uh, you had uh, a pretty likeable bloke. I hope you mean me. <laughs> You're certainly a very likeable person yourself. Thanks. Uh, Mogden uh, said, let me well in Dean's absence. Thanks very much. Uh, Good rant, says Holly. Well, is it a rant? It's what I think. And uh, you've got the right to know what I think. Remember, we separate facts from opinions, but you get both uh, here at TNT Radio. It's very refreshing, I can tell you. And... Uh, Mogden says, good news this morning. The evil monster Kissinger has finally snuffed it. I was thinking about covering that today, but we'll probably do that later on in the week. A review of what that man did. He was a very big player in American politics for a long, long time. Uh, But Mogden says, though, he'll be replaced by another monster. Okay, there we go. Thank you very much for all your calls and comments. Keep them coming. Now, I don't know if you follow climate politics, but COP28, which is a big conference happening in the UAE, that's United Arab Arab Emirates, is roughly halfway between Britain and Australia, uh, is started. And they're talking about the climate emergency, da, 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 and what we're doing to stop the human effect on the climate. Well, is there one? And why is the UAE trying to sell oil during the climate conference. Joining me now is a man who knows more than most about this. It's Brian Gregory in the United Kingdom, who's been studying climatology for 30 years. Brian, good morning. Thanks for joining us on TNT Radio. Good morning, Lambeth Are you well? I'm very well, and looking forward to lower oil prices if the UAE managed to, to make a fortune
3: <laughs> selling well, oil at the climate conference. <laughs> Uh, from the, the, the point of view that you've got a large proportion of the developing world countries there or political representatives, it's a target-rich environment for the Saudis, of course. And <laughs> um, while while we're all wringing our hands worrying about the terrible climate crisis that doesn't actually exist, um, the rest of the world is continuing to, to uh, take advantage of the use of oil, of, of hydrocarbons, uh, burning them to to provide cheap, reliable, dispatchable energy so and not you know, too, go on
1: Limbit, not sorry. Just, and not just that, Brian. They're burning fossil fuels to manufacture the goods that we buy back because we don't yes, make them exactly. anymore. Because yeah, we don't want yeah, to make yeah. CO two.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're we're just exporting our carbon dioxide emissions um, to other countries and then buying them back in finished goods. So uh,
1: just in terms of the uh, just in terms of the the climate emergency, not. Let me check what I understand here. Mm-hmm. CO2 is 0.04% of the atmosphere. That means if you had a million golf balls, 400 of them would be CO2. And yeah. of that, we contribute something like 3.5% in yeah. and out of the yes. 100%. So of the change in going in and out of the atmosphere, which happens all the time, 97% or so of it is natural. And we yes. produce about 3 3.5%. Is that yeah.
3: right? Yes. And there's a study, actually, that that looks at um, fossil fuels uh, don't have as high levels of carbon 14 in them as as we have in the environment at the moment, because the cosmic rays that hit the earth convert some, I think it's nitrogen, into carbon 14. Um, And so you can tell what's happening in terms of how much man-made carbon dioxide is being put into the atmosphere by looking at the ratio of carbon-14 to carbon-12 carbon dioxide over time. And there's a study that shows that of the 140 parts per million that are alleged to have been added to the atmosphere since the start of the industrial era, only 20 parts per million volume actually arise from human emissions. The rest come from natural ones. So So in the...
1: In 170 years since 1850, which people use as the Industrial Revolution, coincidentally also the end of the Little Ice Age, so yes. it was going to get warmer, that means yes. that across 170 years, we've added 20 atoms, which basically means roughly one atom every... 20 parts per million volume. Yeah, 20 parts per million. So we've added yeah. one part per million roughly every 23 years or so. Something like that, yeah.
3: Why because, is the well because the IPCC reckons that carbon that we put into the atmosphere um, stays there for about 200 years? But the uh, other work that's been done by a scientist called Beck looking at uh, the period during the nuclear testing, which affected the amount of carbon uh, carbon 14, um, and he basically uh, worked out that, that, in fact, you know, we'd only it only resides in the atmosphere for about maximum seven years, so it's it's recycled into you know within the environment much quicker than the IPCC um, uh, assumes and and assumes it persists and it doesn't. I've made a slight mistake. It's one atom per million
1: every nine years. I was playing it down. One yeah, whole yeah, atom yeah. of CO two per million every nine years, yeah, yeah, and we've got yeah. we've got. A climate emergency conference in the United oh. Arab Emirates to discuss what,
3: Brian? Uh, well, this is a crisis. Where is it? Actually, I mean, if, if your viewers want, uh, sorry, listeners and viewers want to look at what the actual average global temperature is at the minute, there's a new website recently been launched called temperature.global. So you just type in https double sl- uh, colon double slash temperature global. and i can tell you the current average global temperature is 14.1 degrees 14.17 degrees celsius so 86 degrees roughly below boiling point and that's the average if you go to the poles it's minus 60 at the moment that means you know you've got to raise the temperature nearly 150 degrees to actually reach global boiling point
1: You're referring, of course, to what the Premier of the United Nations said. The era of global warming is over, I think. We're now in the era of global boiling. It's uh, pretty strong stuff from Gutierrez, serving, in my view, only to further undermine his credibility. But if if what we're saying is right, let me get this straight. Thousands and thousands of people from all over the world have gone to the United Arab Emirates, maybe to buy some oil, but also to talk about a non-existent climate emergency. And how did they get there, Brian? Did they walk? By aeroplane. I don't
3: think so. No, exactly. But they'll have all raised, you know, got their air miles up um, to to, to all get together and tell the rest of us that we need to travel less. We need to eat less meat. uh, We need to turn down our heating. uh, We can't drive a car uh by by the time they're finished there won't be any commercial aviation there won't be any commercial um uh, marine uh uh, uh, travel and there won't be any commercial freight travel sea freight so basically we're all looking forward to sackcloth and ashes you know it's it's heading back to medieval serfdom
1: and uh if the uh climate emergency conference is successful Are they going to produce even more totally pointless targets to try to reduce this one atom per million that we're adding to the environment to the atmosphere every nine years? That's the goal, is
3: it? It, Well, it is, but as you've already pointed out, only about three and a half percent of annual global emissions are man-made. 90, roughly near give or take, 97% are from natural sources. Well, we can't control them. And a 1% change in the natural emissions is equivalent to a 30% change in in human emissions, give or take. So, you know, it's a bit like trying to change the direction of supertankers going in by prodding it with a wet celery stick. You know, it's it's, it's, it's pointless.
1: Um, There could be one good thing that comes out of it, though, Brian. The UAE could get lots of new business and sell its oil all over the world to
3: developing countries so that they can share our standard of living. Well yes exactly and you know then they they would actually be using if well most of them would be trying to use efficient uh energy production means like gas and, and oil where it's available less so coal obviously because it is more uh polluting and, and less efficient but you know from their point of view the key thing is to get the living standards up for their for their inhabitants to 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 try to get them up to the levels that rival ours. And the other advantage, of course, is you get the living standards of the rest of the world. You don't find people migrating from country to country, trying to get to somewhere where the living standards are higher and the streets are paved with gold. Brian, never
1: enough time. That's Brian Gregory. Thanks so much. I shall be watching the COP28 conference with great interest we'll try and get you back again so that you can make an assessment next week on what has and hasn't happened there uh, lots of comments coming in there i'll read them in just a moment uh, coming up next we're going to talk to a man who took on the lloyds and the lloyds lost all of that with me Lemotopic here on tnt radio hey guys great news news radio tnt radio news
2: matt boyland here with a look at your tnt headlines One of the most influential state secretaries in American history, Henry Kissinger, has died at the age of 100. Another 16 hostages were freed from Gaza on Wednesday in exchange for another 30 Palestinians freed from Israeli prisons. Elon Musk has delivered a parting message to advertisers boycotting his social media site. And less than two years after first launching, TNT Radio is celebrating its 10 millionth podcast download.
0: Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio?
2: Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know.
0: Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter? Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk,
1: TNT Radio. Let me do with you. It's 26 minutes to 8, Greenwich meantime, 26 minutes to 7 in Melbourne and Sydney, and... uh a little bit earlier on the west coast of Australia. Welcome wherever you are and whatever you're doing. I'm Lemba This is the home of free speech. Uh, we've just been talking about the climate emergency conference in the UAE, United Arab Emirates, where as well as trying to sell oil to some of the delegates, nice one UAE. Actually, I respect it more than the conference. Uh, they're also trying to find out how we reduce a minuscule amount of carbon dioxide that we contribute to the climate, to the atmosphere, sorry. Uh actually, that's plant food as well. What an amazing waste of money. Well, it's the gift that keeps on taking. We'll be coming back to that, I think, pretty regularly over the next 10 days as a conference is in place. Uh, lots of comments from you. Uh, just go through some of them. Autone says, the carbon thing is a scam. They know it's a scam. A cheap con uh, taking advantage of ignorance. The scarcity clowns have been going for centuries. Now stop poaching the king's air. Thank you, Autone. Um, and a couple of uh, links, which I won't have time to look at now, but I can guess what they're about. Bonus here sends me something which is called Climate Justice Nonsense on Steroids? Question mark. And Mogden, the house buyers in Scotland set to be forced to rip out gas boilers and install heat pumps within two years of purchase. Yes, Mogden, I've seen this. In other words, perfectly serviceable gas boilers from friendly fossil fuel gas uh it's not allowed in scotland anymore under certain circumstances you have to get heat pumps and they have a limit to how much warmth you can get so i predict people will die because they won't be warm enough all of that of course uh yet to come joining me now is a man who's done something that almost nobody else has ever done or at least he's been involved in it uh, he took on lloyds which is a very big bank in the uk and the lloyds lost they even had a song about it uh oliver nelkin good morning to you sir morning member how are you I'm very well, and uh, in awe of being somebody who took on an entire bank, or was part of a team who took on an entire bank. and on, let's go to what you did first. Tell us the story of your conflict and your and your friend's conflict with Lloyd's all those years ago.
4: Well, yeah. So my, my friend Dan, he um, in 2007 there was a a big um, Lloyd's Bank and all the main banks in the UK were doing a lot of bank charges, so we used to go overdrawn. They would slap on a huge um, charge, and it was taking the mick really. And so Dan, my friend, wrote a song. So I, I was in a band called Oyster. Oyster is the uh, it's it's a word in London. It's the ticket machine for the tube, but that's the name of the band. But um, the um, the song was called "I Fought the Lloyds and the Lloyds Lost." The next line is, "They even paid the interest and the court costs." but the so so the moral the moral of the song well what happened was the banks took the mick we were uh, but the there was recourse to get them to untake the mick or like Mm. shove it back inside them and um and get some cash back out of them and so 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 perhaps the moral of this the moral of the song of the story is that these institutions can go too far but there is recourse through logic and um just you know to 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 actually to 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 untie some of the damage presumably you now bank with coots being a millionaire or maybe you don't (laughs) one one day (laughs) one day when um when when spotify eventually gives us the revenue but um i got i got uh, three weeks ago
1: i got robbed outside coots other people could argue it'll be be robbed inside coots but well, I don't yeah, mean yeah, that it's coots it's I'm it's only it's kidding, kidding. I'm, I'm sure Coots is a very great uh, bank actually uh for some reason they haven't approached me maybe I haven't got the million they're looking for there uh but I, I was literally paid. robbed outside Coots and uh, <laughs> it's just
4: so ironic. I mean, yeah? That, yeah. Hit and run. I, I, my only interaction with Coots is I got paid by a check, a paper check by a Coots by someone with a Coots bank account. And I thought this is someone to carry on doing business with. Because of such a posh bank, I don't know if that what that says about me. But.
1: I, I met people from Coots, they were perfectly nice because I met them socially. But uh, what they did to Nigel Farage, shutting his bank account? Forever.
4: Oh yeah, of course. Sorry, that's what it is. Yeah, that's what they did. Sorry, I, that's I, what I... I'm
1: referring to. That's the metaphor. Yeah, sorry. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you, Paul. Yeah, pap, <laughs> yeah <laughs> right. I, but I, but um... bringing it up to present day, the CEO, he's called Charlie Nunn, He's called on measures. Such as windfall tax to be ruled out before the next election. Question I've got for you though, Oliver. They were willing to have a windfall bailout when they mucked up the global economy. What do you think about the fact that Charlie and i are saying, no, 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 no. Don't rob us of our massive profits, but make sure you bail us out for our massive losses?
4: Well, I I think it it, it points in that, that whole argument points in the direction of if, if you, you, as a radio presenter, were you to um, forget how to speak the English language, you'd be kicked out of the radio presenting job and put it, you'd find something else to do. And the thing when banks get the government to, when banks over lend, they're not banking. It's like that, that is a failure of banking. So the bank, the banks have failed and then get bailed out by the government, by us, and then that is taking that is taking having your cake and eating it. it's eating it from both ends. and and, and it's, it's doesn't it doesn't add up. so so that's either um, incompetence or conspiracy. you know so I don't want to raise the spectrum of conspiracy but it's like but <laughs> people, uh, bank banking people are clever. You've got to understand mathematics and things to, to be a decent banker and sane ones, under, you, everybody can read a balance sheet, you can see if the number's red or green, and if there's too much red on the balance sheet, they go, okay, let's hold our horses, let's stop. But they don't. They go, I know all we'll do. Let's keep going further into the red and then get the government of bailers out. It's a win-win well, for the banks.
1: My, my mate, who's a former uh, member of parliament like I am, he described it like this, uh, particularly about this Lloyds person. He said... It's like going to a casino with somebody else's money, losing it all, and then going back to the person whose money you've lost and demanding more. And then when you win, you keep it. <laughs> That's what yeah. he said. That
4: seems right. to be what they're doing. Well, yeah, and, and I mean, that sounds a bit like um, a, what a gangster might do. You know, it, and yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a fundamentally unfair situation where they're taking the mick. The, this guy is taking, I don't know if he can... Say any, any stronger language, but no, they're taking don't the try. mic. Don't try. Okay, okay, sorry. Like, don't try. Please. They are taking the mic, so I, oh, I don't know what I can do. I don't know what I can do apart from like get angry, and use a stronger language. But what 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 would you do, Lambert? What would you do to people who are taking the mic? What is it but, that uh, one does?
1: On the first point, I wouldn't have Elon Musk on my show, probably, because he's a risk when it comes to language. But on the, oh, right. on the substantive point, yeah, you, you need to look it up. I think you probably haven't seen the story. Elon Musk uh, did not hold back with his explosives overnight. Um, but in terms of the banks, I, what I would do is, first of all, raise awareness. That's what we're doing here at TNT Radio. But secondly, I would take courage in the fact that you have previously taken on the banks and you won. Now, That's the right. one thing that we do have is people power. I'm glad you asked me the question. People power. What banks are afraid of most is reputational damage. That's really what the collateral damage was when they they robbed um, uh, Nigel uh, Farage of his account. They took it away from him. And then there was an awful lot of murk about why they did it. So I think, uh, Oliver, the one thing you can do is make people feel uncomfortable about those banks that you're not comfortable with. Beyond that, I don't recommend firebombing them. I don't think there's much point in picketing them because it's a massive waste of time. What hurts them is economic, and perhaps something else. Uh, Oliver, what you can do is at the next election, demand clarity from the candidates about what they would do about the banks.
4: Mm, yeah, yeah, because it, it's it's a fundamental human relationship situation where we all know we, we can, you can feel it in the pit of your stomach, and if it feels wrong, then you, you can you can just do something and and uh, yeah and, and as you say that the reputation of the of the institutions is what is what they are trading on Yeah, you know it's, it's the faith people have in these institutions that that creates the ability to, to 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 extract debt from things so yeah so if you can hit them where it hurts which is yeah be there's
1: one other yeah. thing i could do I could replicate the business model of the big banks in the United Kingdom by giving you all my money and then you can put it on a horse. How about that? And if you win, you can keep it all. It's (laughs) exactly the
4: same. If you'll work for it, I'll I'll, I'll happily take you up on that offer and I'll I'll operate as your banker.
1: I'm 99% likely to do that, but it's the 1% that gets you. Oliver Elkin. thanks very much indeed. Keep writing. That is Oliver Nelkin, a man who took on the Lloyds and the Lloyds lost. Have you had that experience? Uh, lots of calls and comments coming in there. Very much uh, to talk about. Coming up next, we have got one of the most cancelled people in Britain, but he will not be silenced. Paul McGowan, who is a political commenter and an artist, will be joining us to discuss the state of Britain and the lack of choice between the Conservatives and the Labour Party. All of that with me, Lembert right here on TNT Radio
0: with his expert analysis and opinion
1: this is tnt radio's timothy shea
0: it's for the greater good have you noticed how often you've heard that expression mostly every time someone's advocating taking your rights away the greater good it connotes the old phrase the common good right we're doing this for the common good and we're gonna yes we're taking some of your income but we're doing it for the common good well that's shifted now to the greater good greater for whom never seems to be greater for me or for you always seems to be greater for them and who gets to decide for whom it's greater why well they do of course be silly to allow you and me to be able to determine what's in the greater good and for whom this is the insidious underbelly of the totalitarian governmental impulse. And it's not just here in the United States. It's in Ireland. It's in the EU. It's in Australia and New Zealand. China, they don't even have to bother about it. They do what they're told. That's the entire essence of a totalitarian regime. But what's scary is how many democratic regimes want to emulate the totalitarian regimes. For the greater good, I'll take a hard pass. For MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Blaney, a third-generation race car driver, and we dedicate a lot of our time to going as fast as possible. But when my grandpa was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, it was a very unexpected bump in the road for us. It's important to notice if older family members are acting differently, experiencing problems with their memory, or having trouble with routine tasks. Early detection of Alzheimer's can give your family time to explore support services, make a plan for the future, and access available treatments. If you or your family are noticing changes, it could be Alzheimer's. Talk about seeing a
1: doctor together. You're with Lembid on today's News Talk Radio. TNT just after quarter to eight in the United Kingdom, just after quarter to seven in Melbourne and Sydney, and all points in between. Welcome to the home of free speech. We've been talking about uh, fossil fuels. Uh, Lots of comments here. Jethro says oil is 100% renewable over time. It is, of course, you're right. It's actually arguable. It's been created all the time. I've heard that theory quite recently. Uh, We've got uh, Madrid saying, Lembit is not a fossil fuel. Thank you. Uh, I don't think I am, but I am a fossil. In a manner of speaking, I suppose, relatively speaking. Uh, Chris says, Canute fared better. Yes, very good. Um, Madrid says, it's been created more than we withdraw. Second most prevalent liquid on the planet after water. Didn't know that. I'll look that up. Thank you, Madrid. Um, Chris says something interesting. The local BBC decided I was too much of a risk to have on. Chris, I want you on my show in that case. That's an advert for getting you onto TNT radio. Let's see if we can organize something. And on banks, uh, Phantom Jam Shots says, any savings and deposits with banks are unsecured loans. The savings projection scheme of 85000 000- Pans no longer exists. All banks are part of a government bail-in scheme. If the governments go, if the banks go bust, we're screwed. Never have more in a bank than you can afford to lose. Cash under the mattress is king. Well, it does look that like we're going that way. Uh, they want us to go back to fuel at all times in terms of not using uh, uh, oil. So maybe we should not use banks either. Um, Coming up next, uh, we've got now uh, a chap who is never under the bed. He is always standing on a plinth, sharing his views. And for that, he gets rewarded by being cancelled, but not on TNT Radio. Step forward, Paul McGowan. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Lembick. Good morning, TNT. Nice to be back. It's great to have you. Uh, We can never get enough of you, actually. Uh, Let's just do a quick round-robin of the news as it broke. Yesterday, we had Prime Minister's Questions, which is essentially a half-hour catcalling exercise in British Parliament. Not a great advert for democracy. And it looks like Rishi Sunak, faced with all these other problems, has decided to declare war on Greece over the Elgin Marbles, better known as the Parthenon uh, Marbles, actually. And I have to say that uh, Keir Starmer said something which was slightly amusing. I'm not a fan of his at all. But he said to uh, Rishi Starmer, in an effort to hide from his failures, the Prime Minister spent the week arguing about an ancient relic that only a tiny minority of the British public have any interest in. But that's enough about the Tory party. It's a bit lame, but I suppose it is slightly amusing. But the Elgin marbles. Why has Rishi Sunak decided to make an enemy of the Greek Prime Minister while he was in the country?
2: Well, I think the whole point of that was
1: the Elgin marbles
2: were not meant to be on the table that they were discussing when he came here. And the Greek uh, minister tried to use it for a PR campaign. But I also believe the Elgin marbles do belong to us. We obtained them legally. They were blown up as part of a dump. Um, They were brought back here. in a a munitions dump that just exploded during the the Ottoman Empire reign. So we brought them back here. We restored them, put them into our museum. And then it wasn't until uh, recent years, they wanted them back, but we had actually obtained them all le- legitimately. So maybe, I think maybe we could do a share with them because they did come from Greece at the end of the day, but maybe, I don't I don't think we should just hand them back.
1: If if you lent me your car and no, if you crashed your car and I gave you a lift home, and said, uh, do you mind if I just get your car out of the ditch? I did it up and you saw me driving around in it, looking brand spanking new for 200 years. How would you feel, Paul?
2: Well, this is it. It wasn't a car crash. They were obtained totally legitimately. And then they were brought here and restored. And they have become a massive part of, um, they are a, a really famous series of sculptures and reliefs. And I can't see, as we've kept them, looked after them, restored them, and all these years 200 years why can't why can't we do some sort of share to be honest i think things like that should be traveling around the world in museums anyway i don't think anything should be static in a museum um because there's like nothing much about museums and seeing the same things all the time um have, I, I think all these things should be on a world tour constantly all the time
1: have you seen how big thing? they're not like marbles like you can keep in your pocket and play with at school they're huge Yes, you can't just move them be. around
2: of course do. yeah well they can because uh, um you've got really ancient um sumerian sculptures being moved around all the time you know how, how do we get you of course you can do them and you if you create an event for them to be shown those events take take a huge amount of money so right. it can be done but, but i mean who's going to see them in greece i mean well, is there in the London, greeks
1: the, the Greeks well, they,
2: would. They've got so many already. Come on, they've got so much beauty. <laughs> you know, it's unbelievable. You know, but uh, I, I think we have got a claim to those. All right. Well, uh, I but I, I yeah. don't. I think there could be a share going on because it's a load of people go and see it. That mu- that museum requires a lot of their revenue comes from just those marbles. You know.
1: Uh, yes, and maybe that's one reason the Greeks would like to have their Greek uh things back the the greek uh marbles back but okay so maybe we'd agree to differ on that one how about the fact that instead of saying well there's something to discuss here greek prime minister rishi sunak cancels the meeting i mean is that proportionate
2: i i don't think that should have happened but he it, he did come here that wasn't meant to be on the what there was just the topic list and he did throw that in at the last moment. And but in how that's all summed up? Is he's gone back to Greece and he's gone back a hero for 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 fighting for them. So now it's become an even bigger situation. So if I was Richie Sunak, I definitely wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have done it. I'd have I'd have found found a polite way around dealing with it. But um, it is it's a it's a very tricky subject because um, it's not like we it's not like the British government went in and just stole them no they were obtained i mean obviously they probably didn't realize what they were or who, and what their future value would be and their cultural importance because they've become really significant now simply because of the argument so so more people want to see them
1: <laughs> well all right so a lot of people want to see them. why not go to athens just go to Athens and see him. Um, the the well, analogy uh, made by our Greek friend was: it's like tearing, cutting the Mona Lisa in half and having one half of it in one museum and the other half in the other. I think that's fair enough. I think it's a fair point.
2: I, yeah, but and that's why I think we could do some swaps and change tra- because it's nice to have refreshing new displays. Why can't they wait? Make some sort of negotiation. And say, let's make this work for all of us. You know. Well, I remember- for a while you take those for a while because they can all be transported i've seen huge mega sculptures being transported and they can definitely be transported
1: so let, let's look at the state of british politics and what it tells us about that we're talking about these marbles when the country is sinking we've got all kinds of crises uh, affecting particularly the working in the middle classes uh interest rates sorry, and all we hear basically being reported from Prime Minister's questions is about these marbles. Do we actually have a choice at the next election, which is probably going to be in less than 12 months time, uh, when you look at Keir Starmer and Rishi Sunak, poll?
2: We do have a choice. We've got Reform UK and they're on 11 percent and they're going to carry on going up. And it's put more and more and more pressure on the Tories. The, the Tories are just totally useless. I just, I've I've said it every time I do an interview, I can't, everyone knows it. Rishi Sunak has no, he has, it's almost like he's trying to lose. It's like, he's got no, he's got no integrity, that man. And he will say one thing and he'll do a total opposite. And the Tories have been like this, they've been in power for a long time. And let's be honest, we can blame Labour for lots of things, but you can't blame Labour for the Tory years. In the Tory years, this country has died bombed. but also since the Great Reset, since we've had COVID. Look how many people are, are working from home now. Look how many really young, giant, fat people, basically, on industrial strength um, mobility scooters are flying down the roads. It's just unbelievable. It's like um, body positivity movement. What are the doctors doing? What are they they reassuring these people? Because half our workforce now works from home. So I see them in the morning. I'm driving to the gym in the morning, and I just see like a column of tanks rushing off to Greg's, the bakers. And then as soon as they're in, they've got a pasty in one hand, steering wheel on the other, steering it in one hand, flying down pavement at maximum speed, old people are diving into the road to get away, ladies are, squ- oh, ladies are squashed up against the wall in their A-frames. It's just absolutely ludicrous. The health of our nation is in dire state. The NHS so, has... It's,
1: it's
2: just so absolutely it's, terrible. So
1: is the political health, though. If you look at Keir Starmer, do you do you think he's he's got... He's also time favourite to become the next Prime Minister. And he wants to, tying into oh, what we terrible. said about COP28 earlier, he wants to accelerate... The race to net zero carbon dioxide, even though the whole thing's a sham.
2: Yeah, it's he. He. I'm, I'm sure every single politician knows it. I'm sure every single politician has read the real data, but they still keep quoting these facts that all the scientists agree. They do not agree. They do not agree. They do not. And uh, you see them all the time speaking about it, but they won't put it on the mainstream media. And uh, what can you do? What can you do? I mean, it's like. I feel like beating my head on the wall over it. It's just how I spent years and years and years in the green movement. I'm not totally a, I do not believe in the CO2 narrative at all. And I've often spoke out about it and I've been ostracized for that reason. I don't really care about that at all. But the reality is if they're going to be prepared to waste that much taxpayers' money and they're going to let everyone freeze. Well, I can't, I can't see how that will be a vote winner. But the problem is, so many people are brainwashed into this whole thing, believing that the world's going to end.
1: You know, I—I I, I put it to you. And um, as we said before, meanwhile, the United Arab Emirates, the hosts of the Great Climate Crisis Conference uh, this and next week, is trying to sell oil to another country. I the know, it's unbelievable.
2: I know, it's very obvious <laughs> no. why why they wanted that, why they wanted that conference there. It was just to sell oil. It was as simple as that. But they know there's, and I can guarantee they're buying it. I can guarantee they're doing oil deals all the time so all these people preaching all this green religion
1: um so, so the way that the, the united <laughs> kingdom's going we're going to get we're going to get green starmer in downing street uh if if it's a hung parliament he'll have the lib dems knocking in behind him saying yeah yeah go green and there's the tiny little green party laughing their heads off because they're wagging the dog of british politics but where does it end? Because if we carry on down this CO2 uh, catastrophe, the catastrophe being our economic one, we're going to ruin the country.
2: We're, 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 we're going to end up serfs again. It's as simple as that. And I've watched the decline of our nation from when I was a kid. I've watched all public gardens, no more gardeners in there. I've watched the streets get dirtier and dirtier. And we've just gone faster and faster and steeper and steeper downhill to the, to the point where it almost looks unstoppable where there's going to be some sort of total crash because it's just it's we're going in a one way direction and that's down
1: you know straight to the Thank you, Paul. Never enough time. That's Paul McGowan. We're going to have him on again very soon, as soon as possible, in fact. Uh, What do you make of that? The dialogue continues uh, on the chat. I want to read a couple of uh, comments here before we finish. Uh, Holly says, Keith Keith Starmer, Starmer, he's a complete joke. Uh, He will get voted in because people in this country are being lazy and stupid and uh, Autone says, I think I'll get away with this, let's face it, if you're married, marble balls come in handy, Greeks aren't stupid. Okay, see what you did there. Thanks very much indeed, Paul and all. What a fast hour it's been. I thank Paul McGowan, I thank all of our guests today, Uh, that's Oliver Elkin, and also Brian Gregory, Uh, and I thank you for listening. Do join me again tomorrow. This dialogue never stops. We've got facts, we've got opinions. You hear them both. I hope you enjoy them. I'm looking forward to hearing what's coming up next uh, here on TNT Radio, with me that's it for now I'll see you tomorrow morning once again on TNT Radio thanks for listening